welcome to the Desi G Show. This is episode two, and in this episode, I'm going to talk about a difficult subject, but one that's been in the news a lot over the past couple of weeks, and that's the issue of self-harming. And I'm going to talk about it because every time I hear a discussion about self-harm, I think about my own experience. Now, as I've said, I'm in my 60s, or for those of you who've only just found this episode, I am in my 60s. So I was born in the 50s, it's like the police song, and I was raised in the 60s, and I was a teenager in the 70s. So my experience of self-harm was nil. I have never heard the expression, I don't think that the expression had been invented or certainly wasn't discussed in the 60s and 70s and my experience of self-harm was this I had some issues which I've kind of talked about in the last episode when I talked about my relationship with food and my compulsive eating so my compulsive eating led me to get fatter and as I got fatter, I got more unhappy because I felt I was unattractive. And the fatter I got, the more I ate, and so it continued. Now, when I say fat, if I actually think about it, I wasn't that huge. I was probably, I don't know, a stone and a half, two stone overweight maximum. But because I'm quite short, and particularly at that time, and now we're talking about me being about 15, 16, I'm small boned, I have small hands and feet um, and my father in particular and his side of the family were all quite short and small and small boned. My mother was a bit different, she was a bit bigger boned but still not that tall but not kind of delicately boned if you like, like my dad and his family were. So I, I followed them in that sense and so every pound or at least every few pounds I think really showed and it particularly showed around my middle. I think if I'd had a been a more sort of hourglass or pear shape, yeah pear shape really and I had a bigger bottom it might not have looked so obvious but unfortunately it all went round my tongue and still does. So whatever wherever it went I was unhappy and of course I was spotty as well which didn't help and I had thick glasses because I was very short-sighted. I had horrendous dandruff, horrendous um, and very greasy hair so not the most attractive or in my estimation I didn't look at my most attractive. So I got unhappier and unhappier about my appearance and that's what I thought it was about. I mean obviously there were many more underlying issues that had caused me to overeat which was really the cause of my it was just a symptom the cause was was very much underlying and we'll, we'll come to that a bit later so i guess it was kind of a bit of a perfect storm because i was i was getting fatter i was unhappy i was really unhappy in fact there were times when i and this is very difficult and please forgive me this is a really sensitive subject that I'm going to talk about so spoiler not spoiler alert but you know if, if you're feeling a little bit sensitive um, about yourself and if you suffer from depression anxiety you might not want to listen to this but for me 
there were times when I was so low that I wanted somebody, I didn't want to c commit suicide. I'd, I thought about it, but I didn't do anything about it. It crossed my mind. But what I really just wanted was some big hand to reach down from the sky. Yes, I know. I don't believe in God or anything like that. And I didn't say prayers to anybody, although maybe I did. I don't remember, but I, I was an agnostic, I guess, at that point. I wanted somebody to reach down. I can remember this really vivid feeling actually being on a bus randomly and I wanted some big hand to reach down into the bus and yank me by the collar and take me away from the world. That's what I wanted. But obviously that wasn't going to happen and I didn't want to make it happen either metaphorically or physically. So at that time, I also happened to see, or around that time, I, I, I watched TV a lot. Actually, let me just give you the background to the TV watching as well, because I'm, I'm an only child. It's 1970. I think BBC Two has just started. I think I'm right in saying that. And I have my own TV. I live in my own um, bit of the apartment that, uh, where I'm living with my mum. And this man who was my mother's boyfriend, partner, whatever you want to call him, who was a horrible, horrible man who used to beat her up. Um, and that was my living situation for quite a few years. And so I was very unhappy there uh, living with both of them because, well, not living with my mum, but living with him. We never spoke. In fact, the only time we, we, we spoke was to say, um, has mum, is mum in and have you fed the dog? And that was about it. So it was a really difficult situation to be living in. And it was exacerbated by me feeling very unhappy and overeating and also living virtually, living in my own little apartment within an apartment because I had my own bedroom, my own bathroom and my own living room and my own TV. I think from the age of about 14 my mother bought me a TV and that was in my living room. So I did spend an inordinate amount of time on my own. I had no siblings and my mother was an actress so she was out either in the evening or you know in, in a play or she would be working long hours in a TV studio so she was pretty busy. And she was a single parent. She was supporting me on her own. And this man who lived with us, who shall remain nameless, although I'd love to tell you his name, but he's long gone, so we don't need to worry about him now and we're not going to let him blight our lives. But he was blighting my life a bit um, because he was living with my mum. He was beating her up. How did I know he was beating her up? Well, I never actually saw him do that, but I heard and I put two and two together. In fact, I remember being on holiday with one of my close girlfriends and my mum when I was about 11. I think he'd been living with us for about a year at that point. And he, uh, sorry, my mum was getting undressed. I think we were putting our swimsuits on to go to the pool or something like that. And I noticed she had these bruises on her arm and something just clicked. And I didn't know anything about domestic violence at that point. I, I knew nothing. But I just saw all that shouting the two of them, so my mother's voice quite sort of shrill and, and then every now and again this loud, this low menacing voice would come in and I just thought, I'm sure he's beating her up. 
Anyway, it culminated a few years later in him breaking her nose and that's when she finally kicked him out. And I was about 16, I think. So those were the conditions that I was living under. And I was living in my own little apartment, as I say, in this, in this bigger apartment that we lived in. So I had my own TV and I used to watch a huge amount of TV because I was on my own. I didn't have anybody else to talk to. They tended to live quite separate lives. I'm, this isn't to say that my mother was a bad mother. I mean, in some, in that respect, she was a bad mother in that this, she brought this man to live with us. And we did try and resolve it before she died. We did talk about it, although it took us 20 years to discuss it, more than 20 years to discuss it properly. But um, she was a really good mother in other ways and she adored me. But in that respect, she didn't really behave in the right way. I don't think, but you know, who am I to say what the circumstances were and how, what she thought. She thought she was doing the right thing, I guess. Anyway, it wasn't great for me. And it did lead me to become very unhappy and it led me to watch lots of TV. And the reason I'm mentioning the TV is because I saw a play on TV, like a 30-minute theatre series, and it was a play with Marianne Faithful and Nicole Williamson. And in this play, she, I don't think she, Marianne Faithful barely spoke, if at all. It was just a 30-minute play, and she had these really deep scars on her face. I remember them as two or three scars. I don't know. I've Googled the play and it, yes, it, it did happen when I thought it was and it was 1970 and I think it was BBC Two. I don't remember exactly. Um, but I can't find any images of Marianne Faithful with these scars. But I know she had them and I remember the line that Nicole Williamson said to her the, playing this character, this really unpleasant character who, who was her boyfriend, but I think he was obviously treating, mistreating her. And pointing to her scars or her face, he said something like, ain't nobody gonna mess with you. And that phrase really stuck with me. And I just thought, how can I make sure nobody messes with me? And so I, and again, this is going to be quite painful perhaps for some people. So if you think it might be painful for you, please don't listen anymore. But I got a razor blade and I cut my face with it. I tried to make scars like Marianne Faithful had had on her face. And I thought, I think by doing this, that I would show people that they mustn't mess with me, but also that I was very broken. And I think because, well, I didn't do it very, I didn't do it anything like the self-harming that goes on nowadays if I don't think it well it was nothing like that because I, w I was trying to make scars but I wasn't trying to hurt myself if you know that sounds ludicrous doesn't it but I wasn't doing it in order to make pain give myself pain to take the inner pain away that wasn't the, that wasn't the um the intention what I was trying to do was to make scars that's what it was all about, so that I had something to show people because I wasn't doing it on my arm, I was doing it on my face. I never thought about doing it anywhere else. It was literally because I'd seen this play. And I think that resonates a lot with what's been happening of late and particularly this week uh, with this young girl who took her own life who had been looking at social media and seen 
what sound like horrendous images of young kids self-harming or killing themselves. And I just thought, what would I have done if I had lived in that, in this day and age? Would I have gone through with it? Would I have killed myself? I just, I don't know is the answer. I don't know. Because the power of social media somehow is so much stronger than the power of TV was. Although more people watched TV and more people watched just the three channels that there were in those days. There was no Channel 4. And, I mean, that had a, a big effect on me. But maybe a lot of young people of my age wouldn't have been watching TV and wouldn't have had their own TV so they wouldn't have seen that play. And there can't have been that many young people of my age in 1970 who had their own TV. So it wouldn't have had the same impact perhaps. And also it wasn't about self-harming anyway, it was just about a, a very nasty piece of work, this man who had disfigured his girlfriend. So it was, it was different in that sense, but it did really make me think about how relatively easy it is for an image like that to be powerful and to make you act in a certain way or react in a certain way, which is really quite scary. I don't know what the answer is about what you do about social media now, but obviously social media companies have a responsibility to their users and the children of their users and they need to make sure that those images are taken down or not able even to be put up. They need to do something about it, but that's not really what this podcast is about. This episode is really just about my experience of, of the 1970s, because the other thing that maybe led me to be very unhappy about the situation was that in 1970 very few divorces took place there were not single mums were not a thing as it were single parents were not a thing as they are now families stepfathers or you know he wasn't married to my mum so he wasn't my stepfather but you know women didn't take in partners in the same way perhaps that they do now. I don't know. The situation was very different, I think, then. Look, you know, affairs and sex and all of that and strange relationships have been going on for years. But when you're a child, what you want is stability. What you want is to be the same as your peers. You don't want an unusual home life that when you bring a friend back, they don't really understand. Oh, who's that strange man you don't talk to in the other room? Kind of thing that's just not what you want is it because you want to be normal so that was another very difficult thing for me to have to deal with was the fact that my my home life was not normal I mean I had a, a mother who was working and, and that was fantastic and she we did wonderful things together and we had a great life together away from the, the flat away from the apartment but it wasn't like most of my friends. Most of my friends had parents who lived together. And also most of my friends didn't have a father who didn't have two beans to rub together for most of his life or for a lot of his life when I was growing up. Because after my parents split up, he really, I think he just went downhill for a long time. We lost money and he was never very good with money anyway. He was not the main breadwinner. And he had had one big success 
while my parents were still together, but after that it all went down the pan. And there were times when I would go round, I remember this one flat he lived in, and it was really just a, two or three rooms above the Prince Charles Cinema in Leicester Square. And in the fridge he literally just had a can of condensed milk, and that was it. I mean, he really didn't have very much at all. And that was really difficult to compete, if you like, as a, as a teenager. It wasn't easy. So, look, I'm not, this episode isn't, I don't want this episode to be about poor me. Sorry, I know it's sounding like some kind of terrible tale of growing up and, you know, how awful my life was. My life wasn't awful. I had a wonderful life. I had a very privileged life growing up. I never wanted for anything. Um, I had everything I could want materially and um, I had a great social life in terms of going to the theatre and the cinema and all of that stuff and music and everything it was all you know fantastic but there was a point when I was very 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 low and I did self-harm and I just think it's it's an interesting thing to think about in this day and age when self-harming is is so much a thing but it was well for me it was going on in 1970 and I'd be really interested to know whether any of you listening to this have had any experience like that when you were my age and around that period and maybe there's a whole community of people who were doing it in the 70s that I wasn't aware of but of course there was no social media all we used to get at home I think was the daily sketch um, and I used to read that uh, and then at the weekends my girlfriend and I her mum would get the news of the screws and the people and we used to love reading you know naughty vicars on the job or whatever it was um but i mean apart from that and the the magazines that i used to read were i was quite precocious actually because i didn't read i think jackie came along a bit later maybe i felt i was too grown up for it by the time that came out or by the, by the time i discovered it but i used to read two magazines which were they were actually printed on, so they were a bit like newsprint, they were printed on paper rather than glossy paper. One was called Valentine and one was called Marilyn. And they were still comic strips, but they were more about boyfriend, girlfriend and lots of, you know, records and uh, review, record reviews and that kind of thing. But they didn't cover, as far as I remember, they didn't cover anxiety. So I don't really remember what the anxieties were if they did cover them. And then a bit later, the other magazine I used to read was Petticoat, which I think I'm right in saying Janet Street Porter used to write for. So, but again, I don't remember them talking about mental health issues or anything like that, but maybe they did. I don't know. But there wasn't the, there weren't the forums to discuss this kind of thing. I think that's what I'm saying. There wasn't any information sharing platforms available to people in those days. So I didn't talk about it. I never talked about it with my girlfriends. My girlfriends didn't talk talk to me about it we just kind of brushed it under the carpet again maybe that's a very British thing I don't know so that was my experience of self-harming in the 1970s and I don't know whether it's helped anyone to recall whether it happened to them but I'd be really interested to know if any of you did go through anything like what I went through then and what you did about it. I ended up having some psychiatric help 
just weekly session which did help because I did stop doing the the uh, cutting the face cutting I did stop that and it took me a long time to get better a long long time but I think I had about nine months worth of um, of sessions and they were useful and I think the most important thing was that I understood that the overeating and the being unhappy about being fat was just a symptom and there were more deep-seated problems that needed to be aired and needed to be thought about and discussed um, so that was helpful so I hope this honestly do you know I have to tell you when I um, first set this podcast up last week when you put it on the SoundCloud platform which is how I started off you have to choose a category that you would say your podcast comes under and none of them really seem to fit you know they were like health and entertainment and I don't know actually I'm not sure entertainment was even there anyway I wasn't sure what to pick so I just picked comedy which when I think about it now this podcast is hardly comedy is it but I hope you've found this podcast useful I can't say I hope you've enjoyed it necessarily because it's not an enjoyable subject to talk about however I did feel it was important for me to talk about it and for me to put it out there that women of my age did self-harm I can't have been the only one so I hope it's been useful please let me know what you think you can dm me on twitter and instagram I'm at Desi Wezzy Doodah with an H on Instagram and Desi Wezzy Doodah on Twitter without an H. And I hope to see you again on the next episode. Thank you so much for listening.